0: privilege it is to be with you this morning, Congregation of the First Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco. I want to thank Reverend Vanessa Rush Southern for her wonderful, energetic, engaging introduction. Yes, this congregation and the Church for the Fellowship of All Peoples have had relationships over the years, 76 years at least. I want to compliment her on her extraordinary leadership, the depth of her thinking and of her soul as evidenced by what she has offered us today in terms of meditation, ritual. I also want to compliment her on her leadership beyond the walls of this church. I was very moved last year, in Jan- this year, in January the 31st, when this church opened its doors for a service in remembrance and appreciation of the great spiritual leader Ram Dass. And rather Southern graciously invited me to partake in the service. What great music we have heard today, What a profound service I have already experienced. And this sanctuary is just awesome. The ambiance exquisite spiritual, deep, inviting. So it is with great pleasure that I speak to you today. The title of my sermon is The Soul of the Nation, Worth Saving. The title comes from my own wrestling with this notion. I am a member of the National Council of Elders, which was founded some years ago to engage leaders of the 20th century century civil rights movement, to share what they have learned with young leaders of the 21st century, to promote the theory of nonviolence, to proclaim justice and mercy among the peoples. The question became so real this summer when we learned that many of our young activists across the nation were raising questions even about participating in voting, feeling as though they were really disillusioned, disappointed with the leadership of the Democratic Party and felt as though it would be the same old capitalistic movement. What was the need to vote, they raised. The idea came to us and we had several forums to try to talk with them about the need, the imperative to vote. That when evil is so rank, so pervasive, the people have a responsibility to try to stop it. The question has been a question though I have raised since my teenage years. The question of the soul of the nation and whether or not it is worth saving. I recall that there are lofty ideals of this nation, and yet staggering, obvious, oppressive contradictions to those ideals. The question is, are the contradictions to those ideals so profound, so deep, so pervasive, that they nullify the ideals? The first question we must raise is, what is meant by the term soul? Soul can be defined as spirit, breath, animation. What is the spirit of the nation? What is alive? What is breathing in it? What is its essence? John Meacham, in his book, The Soul of America, says philosophically speaking, Soul is the vital center, the core, the heart, the essence of life. And many would agree or think that the essence of the soul of this nation is clearly articulated in the Declaration of Independence, which captures the ideals of those founding members of the nation as they broke off from British rule to form this new nation. They declared we hold these truths to be self-evident that all people are created equal. Actually, it said that all men are created equal. That is part of the problem. That they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Dr. King often referred to those words while addressing the contradictions in the lives of the masses of people in the United States, black and otherwise. The preamble to the Constitution is another source revealing what is considered the soul of the nation with this emphasis on the general welfare and securing the blessings of liberty to ourselves and, our posterity, oncoming generations. Yet there is an inherent systemic betrayal of the idolized reality that so many continue to encounter. They think about the near genocide of the native peoples here the confiscation of land, the broken treaties, the intentionally bringing disease into those people who shepherded, who stewarded this nation for so many years. And some think of the issue of slavery which, by the time the enslaved were emancipated, comprised the largest single asset in America, $3 billion in 1860, more than all the other assets of the country combined. They think of centuries of disenfranchisement of women and poor people, whatever the race. The Chinese Exclusion Act, the herding of Japanese Americans into concentration camps during World War II. They know about the exploitation in Latin America and Africa. And I know you know now of the atrocious treatment of children and the parents trying to come to this country. The vilification of Muslims. So they're disappointed, disillusioned in terms of what is this nation about? What is its soul? Long before Eric Garner, while being suffocated by policing forces, uttered the words, I can't breathe. People on the edges had uttered that cry for centuries. Now, another idealized concept of the soul of the nation is recorded in Lincoln's 1863 Gettysburg Address, ending with the words, this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom. The government of the people, by the people, and for the people, shall not perish from the earth. 37 years later, in 1900, James Weldon Johnson, the great black poet, penned these words regarding the sojourn of black people in this nation, words that became part of the unofficial black national anthem. Stony the road we trod, bitter the chastening rod, felt in the days when hope unborn had died. I love the new rendition, America, the beautiful again, how profound, how personal, how deeply meaningful. The song, America the Beautiful, speaks of amber waves of grain, of majestic purple mountains and fruited plains. Indeed, this nation has been blessed ecologically. And because it has been blessed so beautifully, much is required of it. There is a line in the traditional rendition that speaks to me with authenticity. God mend thine every flaw. Yes, that should be inscribed in the soul of the nation. The audacity to abort death-dealing ways. And there is a more recent version of this song that is entitled, Oh, how beautiful our spacious skies. I will only read second, third, maybe Fourth stanzas, indigenous and immigrant, our daughters and our sons. Oh, may we never rest content to all are truly one. America, America, God grant that we may be a sisterhood and brotherhood from sea to shining sea. Oh, beautiful, sincere lament the wisdom born of tears, the courage called for to repent, the blood shed through the years. America, America, God grant that we may be a nation blessed with none oppressed, true land of liberty. Oh, beautiful two continents and islands in the sea. The dream of peace, nonviolence, all people living free. America, America, God grant that we may be a hemisphere where people here all live in harmony. For many, this is the time of Advent, a time of anticipating. Anticipating someone greater than we are to come. Anticipating a time more noble than the present. A time of light for our darkness. That something to come is the birth of the child Jesus. But according to biblical accounts, not everybody was joyful about his birth. It is said that Herod the great king of Judea ordered the execution of all male children two years old or under in the vicinity of Bethlehem, currently occupied, the little town in which Jesus was to be born. This reign of terror is called the massacre of the innocents. It is difficult to believe that such a heinous crime could be undertaken just because Herod, paranoid due to his exploitation of people, uh, feared that this child would grow into adulthood and challenge his throne. But it's even more difficult for me to believe that over 2,000 years later, according to UNICEF 2018, approximately 3.1 million children die from undernutrition each year. Hunger and undernutrition contribute to more than half of global child deaths, as undernutrition can make children more vulnerable to illness and exacerbate disease. The massacre of the innocent. And the hunger results from destructive policies against the poor, including those enacted by this nation. Is this the soul of our nation? News about the ministry of Jesus came to John, the one who baptized people, while John was in prison. And he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the coming one or are you the one to come, the one that has been prophesied? And the response to Jesus is very instructive and very telling to us. He did not say yes or no. He responded, go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised. Jesus put the emphasis where it needed to be on the work being done the ministry being called forth, the kingdom being unfolded. He was fulfilling the agenda set before him by the prophet Isaiah about the one who was to come. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. One of my favorite hymns during this time of the year is O Come, O Come Emmanuel. O come, O come, God, be with us, Emmanuel, dwell with us. O come, O come, Emmanuel. But often we don't hear these words, and ransom captive, Israel it is about not just dealing, it's not really about dealing with individual souls. It is called to release the nation from its imprisonment, the various forms of imprisonment. And for the nation to be free from captivity, the people of the nation must be liberated. Dr. Howard Thurman says of Jesus in his book, Jesus and the Disinherited, Wherever his spirit appears, the oppressed gather fresh courage, for he announced the good news that fear, hypocrisy, hatred, the three hounds of hell that track the trail of the disinherited need not have dominion over them. So I believe each year that we Sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and describe Jesus as the Prince of Peace, that the government shall be upon his shoulder. We are encouraged with the biblical story. There is a concern, however, that I have, um, that while singing this, we relieve ourselves of our responsibility to be the coming one, to be the one to come to embody peace, to make the government a government of, by, and for the people. We must not leave these responsibilities to Jesus. He has been called Lamb of God, not scapegoat of humans. He did what he came to do. Now we must do what we are alive to do. That includes living, so that there is no need for demonstrating against demonic laws, against immigrants, laws that enshrine poverty and the various isms, sexism, racism, classism, heterosexism. To live in such a way and take our lives so seriously and let our light so shine that there is no necessity, as there is right now, for a Black Lives Matter movement. We must, each of us, be the one, the coming one. For creation announced at the birth of each of us, not just Jesus, of each of us. And to us, a child is born. A fresh soul is unleashed in the world. Last Thursday, December the 10th, Some of us gathered for a forum sponsored by Ethics in Tech in commemoration of Human Rights Day, born of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, that was signed in December 10th, 1948. December 10th, 1964. Martin Luther King was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. In 1957, he co-founded the Southern Christian Leadership Conference with the goal of redeeming the soul of America. He believed that the genius within the soul of America was the right to fight or protest for a right. He said in his acceptance speech, I accept this award today with an abiding faith in America and an audacious faith in the future of mankind. I refuse to accept despair as the final response to the ambiguities of history. I refuse to accept the idea that the isness ness of man's present nature makes him morally incapable of reaching up for the eternal oughtness that forever confronts him. I refuse to accept the idea that man is mere floatsome and jetsome in the river of life, unable to influence the unfolding events which surround him. I refuse to accept the view that mankind is so tragically bound to the starless midnight of racism and war, that the bright daybreak of peace and brotherhood can never become a reality. I believe that wounded justice, lying prostrate on the blood flowing streets of our nation, can be lifted from the dust of shame to reign supreme among the children of men. When our days become dreary with low hovering clouds and our nights become darker than a thousand midnights, we will know that we are living in the creative turmoil of a genuine civilization struggling to be born. We hear the words of the Declaration of Independence, the preamble of the Constitution, even the majestic words of the Gettysburg Address. What I want to leave us with is the fact that the soul of this nation is that essence, that breath, that spirit that resides within it because of the various individuals and freedom movements that have breathed into this nation new life, that have animated it, that have broadened and deepened its understanding of humanity, human dignity, and the common ground of living that we all share. It is the spirit that has impelled those vanguards and advocates of freedom to risk life for a more ethical, just, and compassionate nation. A nation indeed worth saving. And in the words of the great poet June Jordan, we are the ones we have been waiting for to save it. Amen. The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.